0: prize picks will match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars just visit prizepicks.com slash play 100 and use code play 100 that's code play 100 at prizepicks.com slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy this podcast is part of the sports social podcast network
1: Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 15 of the Footmarks Podcast. I'm your host, Beraam Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me is Jared Kimber. And we're going to talk about his elaborate series that he penned down called In the Shadow of Shane Warne in this podcast. And don't be mistaken, we're not going to be actually talking about Warney in this podcast, but all the other spinners in and around Shane Warne. So just to start off, Jared, what was your inspiration behind writing down this (laughs) 37-minute read?
2: Um... I think I think there was a few different things. One was I was a leg spinner, and I grew up under Shane Warne, and I've written mm. about that before, and, and you know talked about that on the podcast and everything before. But you know, I I started bowling leg spin before Shane Warne did, and it was not before he did, but mm. before he became famous. Um, and then the difference in my life of crickets after um, when everyone was bowling leg spin, and every batter would come in and rip the ball sideways, and no one really was bowling very good leg spin. So I was always interested in the impact that Warren had on other people. And then around 10, 11, it just got crazy around that period. You know, that was, Mm. you know, I think Bryce McGain had finished. um, Jason Crazier had just come through. Uh, They'd been using batters as bowlers. And then you had the Xavier Doherty, Michael Beer, Nathan Horitzing all happen within the space Mm. of 15 minutes. And I was (laughs) like, there's a book in this. I really want to write a book about um, all the other players. I remember I talked to Brad Hogg and he was mm. shocked. He was like, ask ah, this sort of book. In fact, Hoggy wouldn't even remember this, but it was the first time we ever chatted was about this. He goes, what? That, that's a terrible idea for a book. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think it is, mate. And the reason was, and I, I knew it wasn't because Dan Bredig also wanted to write the book. And so we, mm. you know, I remember us discussing it a little bit and thinking about it. Um, I don't know if Bredig ever tried to get it up. I, I tried to get it up again recently. Um, and, mm. And I, I got interest from publishers, but not enough interest that I was going to jump on it. But it, kept, it was just in my brain of this thing of, these are really interesting people. This is not just a normal story. And it's a bit like when I did the New Zealand opening batters. I remember when you know when I first looked at the New Zealand opening batters, I remember George Nobel was next to me and I was going to write an article for, uh, uh, for mm. Crick Info. And he's like, this is the most boring article you've ever written. Don't write this. And he was right at that time. <laughs> but when you actually go away from New Zealand are not very good at opening batting and you start to look at why and how and the stories of the poor people have had to do it you start to go oh wow this is hmm. there's actually a haunted style of cricketer here and I thought that Shane shadow was the next one right you could do that you could do the new Bothams yeah. would be another really really fascinating one from England as well there hmm. are some players or some situations that just mean that you are haunted and you know the south african spinners is another great one that i will get to one day of just these people mm-hmm. who are just like they're doing the wrong thing in the wrong place at the wrong time it's not their fault right and they come at it from these different angles and that's why you end up with these fascinating stories
1: yeah i wonder what the south african uh, spinners title would be in the shadow in the, of in, in the, in the, in the in the no <laughs> shadow there is no shadow <laughs> <laughs> In the no-shadow, of Pat Simcox. But anyway, you took a fair few names of post-Warn spinners, but I want to rewind the clock a bit. Prior to Shane Warne and post-Richie Benno, Australian cricket didn't have a spinner with the superstar tag, right? You did have players like Bruce Yardley, who, weirdly enough, was a fast bowler and then became a spinner. And then you also had Ashley Mallett. But, you know, even though these guys were successful, they chalked out successful careers, they weren't big enough to, you know, be prominent in the history books. Let's just say that. So why do you think that? So the
2: the important thing is that Australia had great spinners up until Richie Beno, right? And part of that was Hmm. that Australia also had uncovered wickets. And uncovered wickets obviously, uh, you know, develop in a a slightly different way. And I do think that as covered wickets come into Australia, um, that you do, and also we go to six, probably when they also went to six ball overs, because obviously Australia had eight ball overs for, for a while, which helps spinners. Mm. Um, uh, I think there's just a couple of different things that ha- that happened. But Clara Grimmett, obviously the first bowler to take 200 wickets in test cricket. Bill O'Reilly was his partner, was even better. Chuck Fleetwood-Smith, Bill O'Reilly said he was better than both of them, but we never saw the best of him because of mm. World War II. Plus Chuck Fleetwood-Smith was, was, you know... <laughs> A, an interesting character, let we, uh, let's let's say, and so he didn't quite okay. get the most. He didn't take as seriously as perhaps some other cricketers of his era did. Even mm. in an amateur era, he stood out for not taking it particularly seriously. The point is that they had three incredible mm. spinners, and then after World War II, you know, they end up with Richie Beno again, who I think Richie doesn't have a great average when you look at it overall, but he because he was in the side slightly earlier because he was an all-rounder. But I think it's the back half of his career where he was absolutely fantastic. So they have all these spinners coming through. Conditions changed a little bit. And I think when the conditions changed, hmm. uh, it didn't really help um, spin bowling as much at that point. And so because you have Tomo and because you have Lily and even because you have Rodney Hogg and Len Pascoe and then eventually Merv Hughes and, and Craig McDermott, and Bruce Reed, there's a lot of bowling talent there. Some are all-time great level, some are Australian great level, and some are just really good quality test match level. You know, even some, you throw in someone like Mike mm. Whitney, you know, who played some really good Test matches for Australia, and you go back and you look at the, the spinners, they were holding bowlers, right? They were unsexy kind of bowlers, mm. and Australia traditionally hasn't been a good place for off spin to be bowled. It is a better place for wrist spin to be bowled, and there's a basic reason for that, Bayron, which is simply that when you bowl wrist spin right you put overspin on every ball Mm. and so you get a little bit of extra bounce and when you bowl Mm -hmm. finger spin generally put more side spin on the ball and that is why um off spinners don't have as much success but also when you have a successful off spinner in australia like mallet or you know like um yardley and those sorts of guys when they go overseas bowling with um overspin doesn't help them anymore that's why nathan Lyon has sometimes struggled in asia compared to how talented Mm. he looks in like Nathan Lyons sometimes can look as good in other countries as he does in Asia and it's partly just because of this, this thing and so a lot of Australian finger spinners don't spin the ball a lot right, because they're trying not mm. to spin the ball more because they're trying to get more overspin on, on, on the delivery and so if you look at Ashley Mallett, he just looks like a boring club spinner right, and and I think Yardley mm. was a little bit different because he bowled faster but again, if you watch Yardley bowl like the, the only finger spinner before warned that looks sexy, really, it's probably Tim May. You know, if you look at Tim May, you're know, like, "Oh, this hmm. is an action." But the others didn't have that, and I, and I think that there was this idea in Australia that if you threw the ball to someone like Bruce Yardley and just told him to bowl spin, he'd be as good as someone who bowled it full time, right? And there was that that was that huge yeah. thinking. And then Alan Border takes a 12 wicket haul, and all these sorts of things keep happening.
1: Hmm. 11 11 wicket haul. All these things yeah. keep happening <laughs> where they just, like- which is. 11, 11 out of his 39 wickets in test cricket and they came versus the West Indies which was the best team of the time which is as bizarre exactly. a status as it is But
2: you know you have Mark <laughs> Wall come through as well right So you have these guys who can do it to hmm. al- and you know Mark Wall doesn't even believe in off spin Mark Wall came to off spin after being a seamer right again <laughs> Andrew Simons was another Mm. one. So in Australia, you kind of think Darren Lehman ends up bowling, what five or six overs a game in one day cricket, right? They think Mm. that they can just throw the ball to anyone and they'll be roughly as good as a frontline spinner. And there's truth to that, but there's also, obviously it doesn't actually make sense uh, when you drill down on it, but a lot of it is conditions based, but, the fact that they didn't have a wrist spinner who was great in that period is probably just dumb luck, right? Because they'd had so many throughout their history mm. to suddenly get to a point where they didn't have any. That was the thing. But in Australian cricket, a wrist spinner is thought of as a proper bowler and a finger spinner is thought of, to quote mm. Gideon Hague, as cricket's rubbish skill. That is how <laughs> we think of finger spin, specifically off spin, in
1: Australia. Yeah, no, we'll definitely come to that later on. But I want to focus right now on the spinners that were there during Juan's time. And the first name that comes to my mind, before even reading your piece, right, was mm. Stuart McGill. Because this is a guy who was very similar to Juan but as you describe in your piece, just different enough. And you, you know, use the analogy, you know, of being similar to the whole Akshar Patel and Ravindra Jadeja situation. And look, this is a guy who took 208 wickets at 29 apiece. His initials read SCG. He even moved to Sydney from Perth. And, you know, bowling in tandem with Warn, you know, on spinning wickets, he was a really, really successful spinner. And, you know, if you look at bowlers since Warn or spinners, Australian spinners since Warn, you know, it's Shane Warn, Nathan Lyon, and then Stuart McGill at 208 wickets. So that's quite fantastic since 1992, of course. And, you know... The interesting thing is that when Warren retired, you thought you had a like-for-like replacement, carbon copy, all of that stuff. But he plays four tests, also largely because of dodgy knee. But he averages 65 in those and then he retires. So would you say that, you know, Shane Warren being there contributed to Stuart McGill's success? Yeah, I think that there's no way to
2: look at his record. Essentially, what was happening with McGill was he was only playing when the the pitches were ragging sideways. And at the other end, You know, if you, Mm. I think if you're a spinner and you played with Murali or you've played with Warren, you basically had the biggest advantage ever Mm. because the guy at the other end is not only attacking and put everyone under pressure, but he's not going for any runs. Mm. Right. And so you, you match that up uh, uh, with with yourself at the other end on a spinning wicket. And I think that McGill's overall record Mm. is flattering because of that. Doesn't mean I don't think he was a fantastic bowler because, you know, he's a better leg spinner than. Uh, than the west indies have ever had he's a better le- le- leg spinner than new zealand or south africa or um uh west, uh en- england have ever had right he's still of of that quality he he's he's in the conversation of the top i don't know 20 or 25 best leg spinners of all time but i do think his actual record when you look at it um is really really mm. uh f- flattened by shane warne but i think by the end of his career look I didn't go too much into it in, in the piece. I mentioned it very briefly that, mm. you know, he's had issues off the field since. And I think those were certainly starting mm. to come out towards the end of his career. He wanted to be famous on TV. Um, you know, he wanted a different kind of career. He's not a very natural host. And I, and I think that, you know, mm. you know, he wanted his own show about wine. You know, that was his big thing, right? Or he wanted his own (laughs) travel show. I'm not sure he's really a a natural host in that way. So that didn't go particularly the way he wanted. Obviously, his wife at that stage was also a TV host. um, And he had one eye on that career and his body was falling apart, right? He, you know, you look at him compared to Warren, he was never that kind of athlete that Warren was. You know, like, he wasn't strong. Mm. He was kind of one of those old-school spinners where you're just like, oh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. a bit like Phil Tufnell, where you just like, he can't really field, he can't really bat, <laughs> but he happens to have incredible wrists and incredible mind and, and can bowl, you know, very, very well. But he's not a cricket athlete in any other way. And, you know, he, I think his body mm-hmm. did fall apart a little bit. But it, I, it thinks, it's just an incredible thing to think that he waited all that time hoping that Warren would, not hoping, but, you know, hoping that he'd get more of a chance. And then by the time he gets a chance, his body and his mind have pretty much already checked out. And so, as you mm. said that he doesn't have much of a record and it's a, it's a real shame that he didn't get, he didn't get, he didn't get his, what I would say is Brett Lee moment. So Brett Lee doesn't retire mm. from test cricket that much long after McGrath and Gillespie sort of eased out of the game. But Brett Lee had that nine months, yeah. 10 month period where he was the best bowler in the world other than Dale Stane. Right. And so Even Hmm. if you look back on Brett Lee's record, you go, "Ah, it's not as good as some of the other guys. We know that when he was the frontline bowler, got the new ball, everything was in his favour. He was absolutely fantastic for Australia. McGill never got that.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, he didn't. And uh, are you um, keen to hear some fun facts about Stuart McGill that I dug up? So, in his last T20 game, which he was playing for the Sydney Sixers, he took one for 20 in his four overs. And in the same game, Steve O'Keefe opened the batting for Sydney Sixers and scored a 46-48. And he'll be coming on this podcast. We'll be talking about him later on. And also in ODI cricket, he had six wickets in three games at 17.5 apiece. And on debut, he took four for 19 versus Pakistan. So, you know… Stuart McGill definitely did his bit. He made a
2: to T20 Um, cricket, I think, when Brad Hogg did. But Brad Hogg was really fit, Hmm. right? And Stuart McGill just looked like a guy who walked in from the street. Um, So he tried
1: that similar kind of thing. He just (laughs) didn't have it left in him. Yeah. And and of course, Brad Hogg is the other name that comes up to mind when we think of spinners from that generation. Of course, he's a two-time World Cup winner. Also, you know, because Shane Warne kind of retired early and then was... Had the whole drug episode, you know. And he's someone who had a very, very good ODI career, I'd say. Averaged less than 27, took 156 wickets. Didn't have the best test career, sure. But then, you know, you just spoke about how he came back as a rejuvenated T20 cricketer. Had a really, really good wrong one. And, uh, you know, bamboozled quite a few. Played the IPL as well. Played for Australia again after having retired. And then, you know, retired just shy of his 47th birthday. So it's a really peculiar career and he's a good mate of yours as well so enlighten us on your thoughts about yeah body. I wouldn't say we're friends I don't want I, I to I, I wouldn't go to go that far but yeah no <laughs> uh, we obviously he also he also started off as a top six batter who bowled a bit of medium pace right it, it makes yeah. it no I mean
2: you know I've chatted to him a bit recently and you know we've, we've done some work together mm. you know he's a really interesting guy um, but yeah he was mm. he was a batter you know and when we say he was a batter he was a batter in Western Australia when they had Gilchrist Campbell, um, Goodwin, you know uh, Hussy, <laughs> Hussy, like you know uh, Langer, l- ridiculous. Uh, Chris Rogers, Hodge. not Hodge. They would have had Martin. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if hmm. Voges Vo may not have been around, but it was that era when when the Western Australian team was just absolutely stacked.
1: All right, you're talking about Western yeah. Australian,
2: and right. you know he he's he was batting at that point. So, you know, he had some batting talent, obviously bold, medium pace becomes a wrist spinner. I, I think mm. the, the thing that I thought that was quite interesting here is that. If they, if they had been, if Shane hadn't been such a huge figure, I wonder if they would have said to McGill, mm. what can we do to make sure that you're ready when Warren retires? And then the same thing to hog of mm. what, what do we do to make sure that you already went, when uh, worn retires and basically what they had it was they had two guys who had burnout i mean there's a physical aspect to Mm. what happened to mcgill but certainly mental was the major part and with hoggy it was almost entirely mental you know we now know he Mm. played until he was 47 you know brilliantly fit um Mm. athlete from that perspective you know former postman and everything else but i don't think they really thought about that and also he wasn't prepared to be a test bowler you know, he wasn't a first-class bowler as much. You know, he, he didn't have as great a record. And and I just don't think that they were really – I don't think they set themselves up to succeed. But they assumed that because they had two of them, mm. one of them would just play for three or four years, um, you know, especially because they'd been True. in Worn's Shadow for so long, right? They just expected that that would happen. Mm. But I don't think they really planned for it. And so Hoggy was going – you know, I, I think he had depression. Um, I, he went through a marriage breakup. You know, there's a lot of things going on in his life. We've already talked about what happened with Stuart McGill. And so suddenly you have, a, as you said, a brilliant white ball wrist, uh, uh, wristy who just disappears. A very good second. I mean, Hoggy should have mm. been the second spinner behind McGill and they yeah. lost McGill. So we talked about them not having anyone from Benno through to Warren who was of world-class wrist, uh, wrist mm. spin quality. And yet suddenly they have three at the same time that all overlap that are pretty much the same age as each other, right? It's it's incredible yeah. to think that those things um, happened all at the same time and that they lost them all within 18 months. And they really never got the most
1: out of having two great backups. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, the Warren-McGill overlap, oh, sorry, Warren-McGill and Hogg overlap. And I wonder if we'll ever see something like that from a Senna Nation mm. again in particular, right? And then, you know, this void that's created, you know, all of those guys are gone. Australia don't really have an answer. And they move on to Bo Casson. This is someone whose name you take a lot. I've been working with you for a few months and you're obsessed with Bo you, it's, it's I've, I've heard this name of a few times. And this is an interesting career, right? So in that vacuum that's created, you know, in comes Bo Kassin as a 22-year-old or a 25, sorry, 25-year-old, plays a test match, takes three wickets, wins that test, you know, so there's that. And then he never plays a game again. And, you know, he's a left-arm wristy like Brad Hogg. He moved to the SCG like Stuart mm. McGrill. And he quit cricket at the age of 28 after 12 more first-class games after that test match. albeit due to a It wasn't just a hard condition. condition. But, you know... It really wasn't. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it it
2: everything happened to him. He he wasn't ready when he was picked, and he was supposed to go on that West Indies mm-hmm. tour as a work experience kid. Stuart McGill's body falls apart. Stuart mm-hmm. McGill goes missing. I think there were two different occasions when Cricket Australia didn't know where Stuart McGill was. One was on that tour in the West Indies, and another one <laughs> I think was beforehand in Australia. Um, so Stuart McGill was really, really struggling. You know, as I said before, you know, mentally wasn't he wasn't in the space he needed to be, but. I think mm. they thought he'd be fine in the West Indies. Of course, he was not, and he retired. And so Bo Casson gets thrown in, gets smashed around in that first innings. If you watch him bowl in that first innings, he he did okay in the second innings, but I think they were defending 470 or something. Um, but but in the first right, innings, yeah. he just did not look like an international bowler. He shouldn't have been out there. They should have taken Bryce mm. McGain, um, but they didn't take Bryce McGain. Um, you know, It was before they sort of got to the sort of panic um, situations of someone like Nathan Horowitz or, or something like that. And mm. so Casson plays... But emotionally, I don't think he was ready. I think, I think that, you know, the, I think there were even, I talk about the heart problem and I, uh, but I think there were mm. other medical issues he had around that as well. Um, mm. But he, he just got the yips. And I think the yips were the thing that really, really caused him the, the biggest issue. But cricket New South Wales just had no time mm. for him. And realistically, he was an inter, of, of all the players, I wonder if he wasn't the most international. Other than maybe we'll get to O'Keefe later, but I, I would say of all the players, he was yeah. maybe the most international quali- quality player that Australia had. But he wasn't mm. ready when he was picked. He wasn't a confident person at that stage. Um, he didn't have com- full, complete control of his best deliveries. Um, mm. And when he went back, they just he didn't get the treatment that he needed. Uh, and and the heart problem is just yeah. And that was the one where he probably got the treatment, and he needed a little bit of extra support because mm. I think Graham Manu might have played with a similar thing for Australia. I'm not sure if it was exactly the same thing. You could play with that as long as you know that you have it, and 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 everything else is there. But mm. the truth is that it was like they just thought this was a broken guy. They thought his bowling was broken. Thought his confidence mm. was broken. Um, and they thought with his heart, and um, you know, he went down that. But I just don't think you can think that someone is a good enough player to play international cricket at twenty five and allow them to walk away from the game at twenty eight I think there's a there's a problem there yeah. with that system and had they they did stuff like that when mm. Warren played, but doing it after Warren mm. just seemed like Bocassen might have been a great player when he was thirty two
1: right It might have just taken yeah. him a little bit longer to come around, but sadly, we don't know, yeah. And like similar to Kasson and to your same point, you know, you've got the Cullens. Of course, Dan Cullen, the off-spinner who played a solitary test for Australia. Similar to Bo Cassin, I guess, in that regard. Versus Bangladesh, you know, I think he picked up a solitary wicket. And then he played his last first-class game at 25. The other Cullen, Cullen Bailey, who was a leg spinner, he got a contract, you know, after Warren retired. And he went on and played his last first-class game at age 27. So this is a trend here now. And clearly, Cricket Australia was misleading. Yeah, I their think with those two. What happened was, you know, D- Dan Cullen
2: was a very pretty spinner, very pretty off spinner, very similar to Tim mm-hmm. May. Um, and you watched him a very, you know, sort of that traditional Australian English spinner where you, you know, drift the ball wide and spin it back in. And mm-hmm. Cullen Bailey could mm-hmm. bowl a leg spinner, but clearly was in development and wasn't anywhere near. He was he was even more in development than someone like. Bocasson was. But instead of instead of realizing that an issue was about to come up, they did what Australia Mm. usually does, which is they just like, well, we'll Mm. we'll just find the next great player. And so instead of Mm. going probably working with Nathan Horitz, um, maybe pushing Victoria to Mm. use, you know, um Bryce McGain more, Jason crazier um, all these guys that they had in the system who could bowl spin. They kind of went no. we'll, we'll just find the mm. next twenty-two year old, the next twenty-three year old. And if you watched <laughs> Cullen Bailey and I was, you know, lucky enough to see a little bit of him bowling, he shouldn't have had a Cricket Australia contract. There was, it just wasn't ready to mm. be on that level. He needed encouragement, and also the other problem was that they both played for the same team, and so they were they were taking mm. a position away from uh, each other. And I don't think either of them probably would have made it. But what I uh, and by that, I mean, I don't think either of them would have gone on to be Australia's frontline spinner over a long period of time. But what happened is by pushing them so far and hyping them up and giving them these contracts, as eventually, like, they couldn't, they couldn't, just their normal performance was not at the level that needed to be. And so the the, the kickback, the blowback against them was that they were both overrated. Well, yeah, you had overrated mm. them. And then when they couldn't perform to the level that they were never going to perform to, you got rid of them, right? And and in, yeah. in Dan Cullen's case, essentially, you read the interviews with Dan Cullen. I think Bryden's done one, maybe Brettich might have done one as well. You can you can see the issue straight away when they realised that essentially all he was was a guy with a really nice drifty off-spinner that spun it back. They were like, oh, you should bowl a doosra, or you should bowl faster, you should do all these different things, and his bowling fell apart by them trying to tell him to do all these different things. And in Cullen uh, Bailey's case, Mm. Lehman was like propping him up. He was the captain. (laughs) Lehman was like, I had these ridiculous fields for him. I feel like he'd have like four guys around the bat that Warren wouldn't (laughs) even bowl with. Right. And, and then (laughs) like a bunch of, and he would go for runs. And so he'd take wickets, but he wouldn't have the kind of impact that you want him to, because he might take four wickets, but they might go for 120 or 140, but in like sometimes 20 overs, Mm. And, and especially early on in, in games, they just couldn't do what they were being asked to do. And then when you tried to change them, it didn't work. So the fact that you had Bocas and, uh, and the Cullens, both out of professional cricket, all, all three of them out of professional cricket hmm. by the time they were 30, for spinners? Like, what are you doing? If you believe these guys have talent, <laughs> it is your job to keep them around. And instead, they let three guys just absolutely have burnout. And... It was such a misuse of talent.
1: Yeah, I mean, they definitely misused their talent. And as you said, like, if you're a spin bowler, you definitely go on to play way over 30, right? Even Shane Warne played till quite a long time. But it's interesting how, you know, there's this example of Australia mistreating talent. And then there's also different examples. So I'm going to rewind the clock once again. We're going to go to one of Warne's contemporaries, uh, the man with the funky hair. Colin Miller started off as a medium pacer and then started bowling these fast-off spinners, accounted for 69 test victims in 18 outings, which is quite a decent record. And at the turn of the millennium, he was also Australian Test Cricketer of the Year, but then discarded just as swiftly. So they're also, you know, discarding talents which Mm. have proven themselves at that level. And that is really Yeah, I think they... So
2: because he's he's a medium pacer, uh, you know... (laughs) <laughs> maybe a medium fast you know M- M- Muhammad Abbas type of speeds mm. I would uh from f- when I saw mm-hmm. him play becomes an off spinner with this weird action or not weird action but weird grip on the ball because he's bowling um um curveballs um it,
1: is it like Benny Howell yeah but I sort of suppose stuff? it
2: was more like um it's more like what you see of a part-timer <laughs> if he Part-timers don't usually Mm. hold the ball properly and do proper off-spin, right? They usually just rip their hands around it like an off-cutter. So I suppose it's a little bit like Benny Howe or Mustapha, you know, that kind of thing. But, Mm. you know, spin, he was still actually putting revs on the ball. Has this incredible success, as you say. And he was playing. So he started as a Victorian cricketer. But he came through that era where they had Dottermaid, Rifle, Merv Hughes, um, you know, uh, Damien Fleming, all these really, really top. You know, mm. Brad Williams, so many international quality bowlers. He wasn't of that level, and so he wasn't mm. the only one. Him and David Saker both went down to Tasmania, had success with Tasmania, which weren't producing fast bowlers at the same level, right? Then he becomes this spinner, mm. but now he's the Test player of the year. He's on top of the world. He was fantastic when he played, right? Nibble nibbled a couple with the, with the seam mm. bowling, but mostly just as an off spinner. Just absolutely brilliant. And Australia's really happy to have him as this secondary spinner. He decides, well, I want to move back home. I've been staying in Tasmania for 10 years. Never. Mm. I'm not saying he didn't love it, but his home was Melbourne. He wanted to come back to Melbourne. Comes back to Melbourne. Sadly for him, Victoria mm-hmm. is just off that era where they were doing really, really well and they're about to go through a, um, a, a a rebuilding phase and they don't want a 35 or 36 or however old Funky was at that point. Um, spinner, <laughs> right? They've got, I think they had, um, I think they had, Cameron White coming through their system. I'm trying to think if they had another finger spinner at the time that they liked as well. I don't I think John Davison had already gone to Canada or South Australia by that point. But they they just didn't Mm. think that Colin Miller was in there. That wasn't that they didn't think Colin Miller wasn't good, right? They just didn't think they needed Colin Mm. Miller in the Victorian side at that, at that point. And so now he's not playing for Victoria. And so Australia's like, oh, well, he's not good enough to play for Victoria. We're not even gonna be involved with him anymore. Why would you think that? He hasn't got any worse. He's just gone into a a different situation. And so they just let him disappear. And I would have thought that over that that two or three year period, I I think he could have kept bowling. I think his seam bowling was almost done. Hmm. He was getting old. But I think he still Mm -hmm. had enough juice in his finger spin to play as the secondary spinner um, at that point. But remember, they had McGill as well right and so they just let an international quality spinner disappear because they didn't feel like they needed him and it's that kind of that was my always my issue with australian cricket is that they instead of getting the most out of their talent they basically said our talent has to be tough to survive and it it was always a silly way of looking at it this is a guy just wanted to move home right he shouldn't he yeah. should have had at least an extra couple of years of playing for Australia, certainly in Asia. He was a fantastic, he was probably a better spinner in mm-hmm. Asia than McGill was because he was so fast through the air and he spun the ball in a different direction mm-hmm. than Warren and was way faster than Warren. It was a really good challenge for the, uh, the, the batters in Asia to, to have those two different guys at each end. Um, and instead, ah, uh, we don't need him anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he
2: works in we- Vegas. He or something? he, run, or he, he Vegas runs just, a hotel, I think. Up? Now he he did he, he used to he was a croupier. Ah. So there's a great story where Warren goes into a casino to play, <laughs> and, and Funky's behind the table. And it's Warny, so he might have made it up. But but yeah, I think he was a croupier, <laughs> and he did lots of different jobs. And now he runs a um uh, like a resort in in Vegas. Uh, you know, probably small hmm. to mid level one. But you know, uh, I had a look at his LinkedIn. It looks like a legitimately uh, big thing, and he's been over there for quite some time now.
1: Yeah, I mean, next time any of you guys is, uh, are in Vegas, definitely, I've heard you it. Know, I've never met him. I've never out. had anything to do with anyway. him,
2: but I've heard he's a great guy and he loves talking uh, about his career.
1: Huh? Well, then if you do bump into Colin Miller, you can probably have a chat with him about his career. But anyway, now let's come to one of the most fascinating stories that was in this piece, at least for me. And you start off the story by talking about how, you know, you as a kid in Melbourne, you know, when you were growing up, everyone wanted to be like Shane Moore and they wanted to Have the same sort of hair, same sort of action. They wanted to be one, which was very, very impossible to do because Shane Warne is a once in a generation or once in a lifetime sort of cricketer. And one of those guys was, of course, uh, Bryce McGain, who went on to have a very odd career because he remained a club cricketer, a very average club cricketer in his 20s. Then Worked in the IT sector, had a broken marriage, was fighting for the custody of his I son. I think he was split in the custody worked of his really, son, really wasn't hard. He. But
2: yeah, he was like, he's a, mm. yeah, no, 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 you're right. He was, he's a really interesting dude. So he's not even from that generation that grew up underworn, though, because he grew up, he's basically the same oh, age really? as Warren. So that's what I found. So, so mm. I'm right on that sort of cusp of being either way, because I was bowling leg spin beforehand. Ah. But most of my childhood was underworn, mm. right? Whereas McGain, He's only a couple of years younger than Warren. right? So McGain Mm. is a fully-fledged leg spinner by the time he knows who Warren is, right? But it it takes him 10 years to make the professional level. So he actually does end up learning Mm. a lot from Shane Warren, but not in the way a kid does. And as you said... You know, he's an office worker. When I met him, I think he was working for the National Australia Bank, um, doing some IT work, um, Mm. and had started playing for Victoria and was having this fantastic season for Victoria, or had a fantastic season for Victoria. But he makes his debut at 29 um, when I think Colin Uh Miller... Was a, uh, I think Colin Miller was back at Victoria at the time, but it was playing for Australia. I think I've uh-huh. got that. I think I've remembered that right. And mm. Cameron White was there, but perhaps wasn't available or they wanted a second spinner. He plays five games over five mm. years. You know?
1: Takes five wickets. I, I remember you mentioning like by age 35, he only had five wickets what it was? in first class cricket. And This is yeah. a guy who debuted. Huh? He debuted at 29. At 35, he still has five first-class wickets. Then he has that season in which he's the fourth yeah. highest wicket-taker and, and worth in saying that cricket. Before
2: so he made his debut at 29, I, I can't remember the exact year, but, uh, but around the age of 26, he was playing second eleven cricket in club. So he wasn't even mm. playing the first for his club team, right? So he's not even at a position yeah. where he could get picked for uh, Victoria. Um, and mm. and so yeah, and so as you said, 36. 35-36 season for him, he, he hmm. essentially finds himself as Victoria's number one spinner because they just didn't have anyone. John Holland was quite young at the time. Um, hmm. Ashton Agar had not come through yet. Michael Beer was uh, not particularly, you know, very well rated. So there were spinners around, right? But there just wasn't a spinner hmm. that they really believed in. And so McGain just kept getting better. And it was quite clear he was, you know, the best spinner mm. in club cricket at that point. They chuck in the ball and he has a fantastic year. He averages about 33, 34, but for a shield spinner, that's really good. Mm. Um, I know those numbers, if you're, yeah. if you're used to following cricket in Asia, you'd be like, he averages 34, <laughs> but you know, those wickets, then you don't get a fifth day in shield cricket. So you don't even get the, the, the pitches falling apart. Mm. Um, he wasn't playing on a wicket that was particularly. You know he's playing on a drop-in wicket at the MCG. It was really suited to medium pace mm. bowlers nibbling it around. Was not suited to someone like him. Has his fantastic year, and then they get to the Shield final, and it's basically a bowl off between him and Bo Casson, who we mentioned before. Bo Casson bowls really mm. well in that game. By the way, it's probably the best I ever saw. Beau Bo bowl was probably in that particular game, um, mm-hmm. and he made runs. I think he made ninety. Bryce McGain doesn't bowl very well. In fact, he looks pretty ordinary in that game. And one of the reasons was, is that was his first season as a professional cricketer. And he opened the callus up on his spinning right. finger. And then he didn't know mm. any better because he, he never had to deal with, that was one part of being a professional he hadn't dealt with very much. He went into the ocean, the callus mm-hmm. opened up. And so he's basically bowling with a raw wound. And we saw with Mo and Ali, how that works ah. um, in the ashes, right? It's just hard. Um, and, he misses yeah. out on that test. But then after they see Bo Casson, they realize that Bryce McGain is the better option for them.
0: Mm-hmm. So they
2: pick Bryce McGain to go to India. He goes over to India, plays really good against an Indian A-team that was stacked. Um, and, you know, people on the mm-hmm. ground thought, oh, he's better than we thought he was going to be. Picks up a niggling shoulder injury. And a month later, that is really bad shoulder injury. So he gets pulled out of the uh, Australia mm-hmm. Tour to India um where he was definitely going to make his debut he comes back and it takes him i reckon yeah. that was october and i think his next first class game i want to say was in the middle of january or february because then they were going to south africa mm-hmm. and they needed him to play one game plays against right. south australia and he bowls dreadful in the first innings and they smash him everywhere but south australia mm-hmm. had to do a really hot uh really fast chase on day four of that game and they attack him again but he gets five wickets and I don't know if there was an Australian selector ah. there. And I don't know how much they were noticing. Mm. But I think they were so desperate for a spinner. Even if they were there, they would just like, look, he's taking, his first game back, he's taking a 5 good hole. He's still the best spinner in Australia. We're going to take him to South Africa. They take it, mm. Yeah, then, well, they of take course, him to South Africa. He doesn't get to South story. Africa, though. He misses a great the flight. Thing. So he's been waiting 36 yeah. years to play for <laughs> his country. And he literally misses the flight where he's going to play his first test. He gets mm-hmm. there and he plays against, um, it's not South Africa A, but it's like a South African A11. And they mm. murder him. And they realise really early on what South Australia uh, realized, which is he only has one gear. He can't bowl any faster. Mm. And um, he can't, if you put pressure on him, he can't do anything. That wasn't the case. I've seen him bowl before that. He wasn't like that. He was a completely different bowler with this mm. shoulder injury. But again, remember, he never bowled this many overs mm. before. His body is falling apart because he was yeah. he's a club cricketer. He would play on Saturdays and Sundays. Mm. He's not used to bowling as much as he ever had before. Certainly not at that level. So right. Australia see him in his warm-up and go, oh, shit. Well, we can't play him now. Clearly, his shoulder is still an issue. Mm. So they use uh, Marcus North as the spinner. Marcus North gets sick and ends Mm. up in hospital before the third test. They look at Nathan Horowitz and they look at Bryce McGain and they're like, we probably trust um, uh, uh, Bryce McGain a little bit more. We think he, we want to play, we want him, they wanted him to play in the Ashes. They weren't sure about Horowitz for the Ashes. They pick Bryce McGain and uh, was it
1: 183? No, 163 off 18 overs. It was 149 it in 18 overs, which is the most expensive 15-plus over spell in test cricket. And it's it's sad because, look, this is a guy who worked so hard. And at age 36, he bagged yep. that baggy green, right? That's a big honour in Australian cricket. But he couldn't get a test wicket. And my heart does sink for him because, you know, out of all the post-worn spinners, they all do have that, you know, happy moment, even if it's that Bocass in three wicket innings or whatever. But... I think Bryce McGain could never like get that moment. Look, I think he Austrian.
2: did. I think if you talk Shit, to him, Jersey. the fact that if you're in your mm. mid-20s and you're playing second's club cricket, right, that's basically my level, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't expect to play yeah. test cricket. And I think he still has that moment. Mm. But I think for everyone else, whether he got a wicket or not, it was the way he was treated. Like AB de Ville is basically his heart broke mm. for Bryce McGain in the test match. He talked about it. Right, that's just not mm. a thing that we, we we normally see in cricket, and so look, I still think it's a I think it's a great story of someone overcoming everything, but I can understand that mm-hmm. when you see those figures, especially, and if you see the, the the footage, it's brutal. Hey, I just I'd never seen him bowl that many bad balls in in his life. Um, yeah, well, in the one year I'd seen him bowl, um, uh, as he did in that mm. game, and South Africa went after him, but. The fact that he's still in public life, you know, he's hosted radio shows and he does cricket commentary and he's still mm. around the game I think tells you the sort of person Bryce McGain is. Th- the one thing I would say with Bryce McGain is yeah. going for 147, 149 runs and 18 overs in his only test and not taking a wicket and knowing that was it did not break him, right? Mm. And that's not the case for all yeah. these guys, right? Some of them, they are defined mm. by what happened to them. And Bryce McGain went the mm. other way with it. He went, I wasn't supposed to be here in the first place. And you guys can laugh at me all you want, but you were the same guys who never even thought I would have made it in the first place, and I did. And so I think there's a beautiful side yeah. of the Bryce McGain story, um, you know, from, from that perspective. And and I do, you know, for me, I think it is, I think it's a success, even if it was the worst debut that mm. perhaps anyone has ever played. And I put that up with, it. was it Gavin Hamilton who got smashed everywhere and made a pair? I think Bryce might have had a
1: worse debut. Mm yeah i mean you've got to credit him for his resolve right is there a part of you who kind of resonates with that story being a leg spinner yourself and not obviously having gone to that sort of length yeah i think you know i i was a late bloomer in
2: my career as well right you know at what 27 28 27 i'm parking cars Mm -hmm. for a living right and you know didn't finish high school i didn't go through it so even as a writer i think there's a part of me that kind of goes i didn't give up if you'd asked me what i was going to be at 27 28 while i was parking cars i still would have said i'd be a writer mm. even if it would have looked ridiculous as i was mm. you know parking your you know you with your big fancy car Bayram. um you know if i was parking <laughs> your car for you it would have looked ridiculous right but that's how i felt and i think that's what Bryce McGain was like in his Mm. 20s and then you've Mm. got the leg spin side of things so i know how hard that art is bryce actually Mm. taught me a lot of things about leg spin uh that one thing he Mm. said to me really early on was as a as a spinner in general you you basically once the ball is out of your hand if you've done a good job and he hits it for six you have to actually accept that you did a good job and i don't think that's how spinners always work right you know, you can bowl a great ball as a spinner and the guy just uses his feet to it beautifully and comes down or he slug sweeps it and there's nothing that you could have done. Hmm. Um, Bryce was very good at doing that. And you realize why someone like him worked the way that he did because all the setbacks he got, he was like, yeah, but I did that right. Right? It, uh, hmm. Yeah, I should have played probably earlier for Victoria, but I did everything I could to put myself in the situation to do that and they didn't pick me. Right, and and, yeah. and so I think for me, you know, I've always said that he's the cricketer who he was my hero as a cricketer, despite the fact that he wasn't successful, mm. and he wasn't my hero in the way that you know Ian Harvey was, or Matthew Elliott was, or was a Akram was, or Curtly Ambrose was. Mm. But he's the hero in in the fact that he was the guy that did everything he could to make it and made it right, and. That's a very, mm. you know, we're used to 20-year-old. We all get excited when a, you know, 20-year-old South African batting prodigy comes through, right? But what about the guys who just uh, you know, do anything? In fact, I'm doing a podcast, hopefully very soon, with a guy called Tim Lindley, who now runs a coffee shop in 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 Leeds. But he had a really good professional career as a bowler. And when I asked him, to be on the podcast he goes why do you want me to be on it and I said because you didn't make it when you were young and English cricketers if they're not in the Mm -hmm. system by the time they're like 20, 21 they're done they go off and get real jobs and I said you didn't do that yeah you kept fighting Bryce McGain was even further away from the system than Tim Lindley was right and he did everything Mm -hmm. he could to self-improve and that's kind of what we want to do in life right one of the things I'm asked about most in cricket is the wobble ball how do you pick it What does it do and does it exist at all? Well, one thing I can tell you is that wobble balls don't help when you're trying to groom your pubis area. For that, you want the seam up precision of Manscaped. Their platinum package will ensure that your package will swing in the best way possible without the seam opening up. Their lawnmower 4.0 will take care of anything out of shape and then afterwards you can polish your balls with their moisturiser. Don't be dismissed by wobble balls this year. Go to manscaped.com and use the code REDINCA, all one word, to get your discount and put your balls in the best area you can. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the sort of grit you need to have if you want to make your dreams work. And like you said, like, you know, he looks back at that test as horrible a debut as that was. He's pretty happy to have bagged that baggy green. And of course, I mean, he deserves it. Um, Anyway, moving on from Bryce McGain and also leg spin, because now in this period, Australia have started to turn to off spin. And you've already mentioned how it's not a skill that is thought of rubbish down under. You also, uh, yeah. Rick, it's rubbish still, as, as per Gideon. And yet, it's, you know, very, very ironic that Australia's most successful tweaker post-Shane Maughan mm. is an off-spinner. Of course, Nathan Lyon has 496 wickets. He's most likely going to get to 500 wickets. And, yeah, I mean, the irony no, really is And, and they fought it. him, right? Like, he comes in, he takes a wicket first ball
2: against mm. Kumar Sangikara, um, takes that five-wicket hole in, in, in Sri Lanka, plays well, looks threatening... Uh, mm. you know someone someone sent a message on the youtube channel the other day saying oh nathan Hart's record wasn't that much different i said yeah but if you watch them <laughs> you understood how much better mm. nathan line was and could be um and they didn't really feel that way uh it wasn't until i saw him from side on nathan line that i realized why he was such a good bowler i was covering a it must have been the India Australia test, and uh, I was in the uh, I wasn't in the main press box. I was in the in the side press box, and from the side you could just see the hmm. the drop he would put on the ball. He's so hard to play, and you watch even now how few players come down the w- even though he's slow how few players come down the wicket and whack him back over his hmm. head. And it's because you come down the wicket, and by the time you get there, the ball has dropped, and it's not quite in the position you want because of so much overspin. As, as we talked about before. Yeah. But they fought him. And, you know, the, the best case, the, the, the best story I've ever had and is he gets to the point where he can take a seven-wicket haul in India. Um, you know, and a proper mm. haul against proper players, yeah, it was on a spinning track, but Australia didn't have anyone who could take that level of, 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 uh, of wickets. You know, the Jason Crazier taking eight wickets, mm. no one thought that was sustainable. Nathan Lyon, you watch him you go, this is a sustainable yeah you know, a uh, hall of wickets and they drop him for the next mm. test. Bearer. Like, and they dropped him. If you listen to Justin Langer, you go back to that, that, that whole thing. Justin Langer is basically going, Oh, this Agar kid, what an athlete. Right. And he talks about him as an athlete <laughs> more than he does as a bowler. And there's a reason why he does that. Cause if you're watching bowl, he's basically a part-timer at that point uh agar mm-hmm. like he wasn't a frontline yeah. spinner and they were so excited by the fact he could bat he could field he could bowl and all this sort of other stuff that they forgot the fact that he couldn't bowl anywhere near the level that nathan Lyon could but it tells you just how little and you know shane Warne was still t- i think for that ashes i think that was the ashes where shane Warne was pretending he was going to make a comeback right like no one rated Nathan <laughs> Lyon and he was right there in front of you. And the thing is, as someone who who lived through all these other guys, Nathan Lyon was the first person. I saw him bowl in the Big Bash. And then I think I might've seen him bowl. It was either for South Australia or it was for the A-team. And I was like, oh shit, this is a spinner. You didn't feel that way with Croatia mm. Like I'd watched Croatia for years. Even with Bryce McGann, yeah. you're like the best you're going to get a year, year and a half out of him, right? <laughs> like, you know, that wasn't going to mm. come through. Um, you know, they were picking batters who could not bowl, right? And and suddenly you had this guy and go, oh, no, no, this is a spinner. We, we should be doing something. And they just they just didn't believe in him. And a lot of it was just because he was an off spinner. And he just wasn't. And if you think about it, at that time, the best off spinner in the world was probably Swan with Ashwin probably coming through as well. I don't know where Ashwin was in his career. Mm-hmm. No, Ashwin wasn't that. Ashwin had played it a little bit. I thought he was fantastic. He hadn't taken wickets in Australia And they Mm. dropped him, but no overseas off-spinner did at at that stage, took wickets in Australia. But Mm. Swan was the gold standard. And Swan was just better at everything than Lyon was. And I still think Swan was a better bowler than Lyon is now. But he played too late in his career, his elbow was already gone. All those sorts of things uh, came in. Mm. And I think that because he wasn't as good as Swan, they again went, Well, he's not even the best off-spinner around. Like there's a better England have got a better off-spinner. And he just kept being pushed back. But Mm. it was clear that he had the ability and there are there are i mean it it would be fair to say that lion is like the Stuart broad of of, of spinners right in that <laughs> he is fantastic at the things he's really good at but he does have a lot of weaknesses he's not mm. as good he's not as good as swan he's yeah. not as good he's certainly not as good as ashwin right He's probably not even he might not even be as good as mahadi hassan in in asia right but he's right. good everywhere and he's handy everywhere and he's he's got this fantastically weird record of being one of the best first inning spin bowlers in the world because he likes the extra bounce um mm. and but it means he can yeah. bowl anywhere right and
1: yeah
2: he's not fantastic anywhere and i think that was the thing that they were looking for right because they wanted if they were going to have an off spinner it needed to be like the Shane Warne of off spin but it wasn't they ended up with the Stuart Broad of off spin mm. which is going to end up with yeah. i mean Nathan, I like could still end up with 600 wickets, right? He might even end up with 700 if he wants to continue to yeah. play, right? You never know. And yet, no one, I, you know, no one's going to think he was better than Ashwin, right? I'm still saying he's not as good as Swan, no, right? But he, what he is good mm. at, and his ability um, to get wickets in situations where spinners don't always get wickets, his ability to be good inside and outside of Asia is absolutely fantastic, mm. and he's a really good bowler. And as I said, it took them a very long time to actually understand what they had and then back him.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean, of course, he's a really good team man as well. He has those team talks that we've all seen in the test. I don't know if anyone's watched that or not, but yeah. it's a bit of a thing, you know, and he he has some great singing skills and the whole story of him being part of the ground staff. He, he was, I Adelaide think the year Oval before coming up, he played club
2: cricket with Adam Collins, you know, and no offense to Colo, hmm. but, you know, that's a bit of a bit of a step <laughs> up from like a year and a half later being a spinner, right? Like, and that's how desperate they were, but that's kind yeah. of where he was, right? Like Horitz was picked from club cricket and mm. it's, they even did it during Warren. Gavin Robertson was picked from club cricket. Like it's very hard to be mm. a, a successful cricketer in Sheffield Shield cricket, as we've already discussed. And that is a big reason is it's a bit like the old England, New Zealand batting thing, right? It's hard to be a good player. Mm. If, if when you go back to club cricket, or if you go back to first class cricket, if you're not successful there, you're not suddenly going to feel a lot more confident when you're playing to, against Sachin Tendulkar.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely not. And it took them some time, right, before they got to Nathan Lyon. Of course, you mentioned Krasia and Horitz. Both very weird careers, both like very differently weird careers. I'd say Krasia, it's interesting that he had only taken 55 wickets at 49 when he made his debut in India. And that is also one of those locations or destinations where Australian spinners tend to debut a lot. And he takes a 12 you know, a 12-wicket haul in his first test. Very weird one. The most expensive the wicket 12-wicket haul ever. Yeah. Yeah, eight in the first innings, four in the second. Kept tossing it up, you know, giving it flight, giving it a good rip. You know, uh, Australia had to, of course, play him again. And uh, then he helped South Africa in chasing down 414 with six wickets in hand to record the second most uh, prolific run chase in test history. So, yeah, that's a weird one, isn't it? Weird and stupid, yeah, I, as Look, said. I followed
2: Crazy's career a long time. He just wasn't a frontline spinner. But again, his best ball was magnificent. And I think that's why... I think they were more sucked in by Crazier than they were by Horrett's or Lyon because Crazier's best ball looked better than those guys, right? Are you saying Jason Crazier was a poor man's Moy? So it's funny I didn't mention it in the piece, but there, there's a bit of that. He wasn't mm. as smart a bowler as Moyenali, and he was a bit. Mm. You had to watch. I mean, if you watch him in that 12-week at all, kind of, that's kind of what he was. Like, you would watch mm. him in shield cricket. And he would just be, like, attacking every ball. So I don't think Ali attacked every ball. But Ali's best ball was very similar to Crazier's in that it would drift away, it would rag back, and you couldn't play it. But Crazier would bowl. Mm. crazy would try and bowl that ball over and over again. Whereas I think Moinelli, probably because he was a, more of a batter than crazy was, although crazy could bat a little bit as well. But I think because mm-hmm. Mo and Ali was a bit of batter, he knew enough about batters to be like, well, I can't just go try and bowl that ball 20 straight occasions because I'm only going to bowl three of them, all right? I'm going to bowl a few stock balls and then occasionally I'm going to bowl the best ball because Crazier was like constantly trying to bowl that best ball and not even as good as it as Mo and Ali was. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, do, I think, you know, they... It was it was such a bizarre thing, and then they go from him to Horritz, who's like, the, someone got upset because I, I called him the most a milk toast. But he was like, he didn't spin it, so he's the opposite of Crozier. He wasn't <laughs> an attacking spinner; he was a defensive spinner. He basically, bowled in the way that a lot of those sort of Queensland finger. Uh, well, I, I didn't even talk about Dan Doran, who I think had a eight year career um, <laughs> as a leg spinner in Shield cricket and averaged sixty five. Um, and th- that's wow. and and and. So, Dan Doran and Nathan Horrocks, I think their careers would have overlapped. And, you know, Dan Doran would come in and they would basically hope that he would take three wickets in a chase, um, you know, once every third match. Um, and Nathan Horrocks' job was to rest the fast bowlers just by bowling darts, right? And eventually went to New South Wales hmm. as well because he had to, which is the other big thing that they all these spinners end up yeah. having to go to New South Wales. So at the one time, you've got True. Lyon, Horrocks, Crazier, McGill, Casson, all it's o'keefe all in new south wales because they've only got one wicket that spins like mm. it's and and then and then we've already talked about the fact that south australia had um the two Cullens at the same time so yeah have all these overlaps where it mm. doesn't really make a lot of sense but but yeah so horitz ends up being the the opposite of Crozier in that they just feel that he's he's gonna dart the ball in um he's not gonna spin it a lot he was a fairly clever bowler i think in his own way but he didn't do a lot with the ball in the air mm. um and they just—they didn't trust him. Yeah. They it wasn't—it was the—it uh, was the exact kind of finger spinner that Australia had always made fun of England for, right? Doesn't really spin it, mm. keeps up an end. That's a little bit, but isn't really a batter either. But Horitz did well. He took wickets. He—he um, he improved, I thought, as an international player from the time that they picked him. Uh, He—they told him mm. to fix his batting. He did fix his batting. They just didn't want him, mate. <laughs> when it comes down to it, they just didn't want him, yeah. and they eventually would pick specialist batters over him, and that was the death knell of Horace's mm. career, right? Like, if you can't get into a side over Marcus mm. North, um, you are eventually just not going to get picked, and so they they disappeared. And that's when they get they, you know, that was when they went through the whole left arm finger spin thing, which Australia does trust left arm finger spin more than it does off spin.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely get to that, that. And I love how, you know, these stories are so complex and weird that on one hand, you have Bryce McGain who worked so hard for his debut and didn't take a, a wicket for Australia. You got Jason Krasia almost accidentally over there in India and he takes a 12 for on debut. Yep. So it's the, the the contrasts are amazing. And, and Horitz is also quite interesting because, you know, five wickets in his debut test in 2004, doesn't play again till 2008. And even though, you know, they don't back him, he's not a big turner of the ball, has confidence issues, has auctioned off his jersey at 29, but is still the third most successful spinner since Vaughan. So, these are all like really great nuggets of information, but let's come to the left arm of spinners, right? We see Australia going, you know, double trouble, adding Xavier Doherty and Michael Beer, just particularly to counter KP because KP struggled big time versus left arm offspin. They didn't go with Steve O'Keefe who had a great record and ended up with 301 test... Oh, no, not test wickets. First-class wickets at 29 apiece. And he also took a 12 for in India in a test match that Australia won. A very memorable one, right? So, I mean, of course, you can blame him, alcohol and foul mouth that ultimately also cost him a career. Last couple of years of uh, his career, yeah, But then you are right. other... Yeah, definitely. You got other players uh, who have that profile. Like, you mentioned Ashton Eger of how Justin Langer was said that he's a great athlete. Well, he got that memorable 90-something on debut, but that's what we remember Ashton Agar, the test cricketer for, mm-hmm. not his bowling. And he probably never was going to cut it with ball in hand, even though he's, you know, somewhat made yeah, it work bad in limited overs cricket. But, yeah. yeah. But this whole obsession with left arm off spinners and then also not giving Steve O'Keefe his due recognition and games because he ultimately ended with what ended with what 9 test matches what's your take on yeah, this entire so period yeah so they wanted
2: a tall left-arm finger spinner and i didn't go into that to, hmm. uh, specifically in the piece but that australia basically you know wanted someone who was tall and left-arm finger spinner who could drop the ball on a leg sort of monty panasar ashley giles john enverarity hmm. style of left-arm finger spinner paul harris right um, because they thought that was they could control one end and then they could attack with the with the paces at the other end. Um, they weren't expecting mm. a lot of wickets, but they didn't really have that player. Like Agar wasn't good enough, right? He, his bowling wasn't good enough. It still isn't good yeah. enough in red ball cricket. They tried Michael Beer over mm. a couple of different occasions. Michael Beer again, fantastic white ball cricketer, just didn't have what he needed um, in red ball cricket to to be a constant threat. Uh, and they told. John Holland. Holland. I don't know what John Holland's height is. John Holland, I think, just got in again through weight of wickets at a you know a certain period. Um, Mm. But Steve O'Keefe is short. Um, I don't know if we can, if I can Mm. do that uh, live. But uh, you know, I've stood next to him. He's not. He's not a particularly um, tall player. And so he was told, um, five foot nine. Right. So I would have thought John Mm. Holland is probably around six foot. Michael Beer's probably six foot four. Agar's probably six foot two, six foot three, but really long limbed. If you look at Agar and they told mm. O'Keefe to his face, they uh, O'Keefe asked them, uh, what do I need to do to play for Australia? And the selector said, grow, grow a foot, um, and bowl a but <laughs> Like that just shows how idiotic Australian <laughs> cricket was at that point. Like what the, f- who says that yeah. to someone, what sort of a fucking idiot says that nah. to someone and you're picking the team. um, And obviously he wasn't going to be able to grow a foot. Also left arm finger spinners. I think they should bowl. Doosers and Karen balls, but they don't Mm. traditionally bowl them. Um, and he just kept getting overlooked. And yet, you know, and even when he takes that twelve wicket haul, it's actually great if you go back and listen to the, the full commentary. Of that Shane Warne, the entire time through commentary is basically going, oh, "I wouldn't have picked O'Keefe. O'Keefe's no good. They shouldn't have picked O'Keefe." As he's taking all the wickets, this mm-hmm. winning the Test match, and, and <laughs> <laughs> well, one, he was also against. Yeah, Warne right? had so his spinners. I mean, he certainly that? backed him again. Um, so he certainly had his spinners. Mm-hmm. But the point being that even when he took wickets, people didn't really back him. And I would say in my career, he's one of the cricketers I was asked the most about. You know, you got forward alarm is another one. You know, and 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 Steve mm-hmm. O'Keefe um, and Safra's is probably becoming another one in, in modern times where people are just like, how are you not trying these guys? And it's a fair question, right? Yeah. Um, what's his name? Hildreth from Somerset was another one. And sometimes there's real reasons. Forward alarm and Hildreth, I think, played a part in it. And O'Keefe probably played a bit of a part in it as well. Mm-hmm. He was injured so often that even his best years, he would end Mm. up with 25 to 40 wickets, whereas actually he probably could have taken, you know, 50 to 55 in some of those years, had he been fully fit. Um, and he would take 15 wickets at like Mm. an average of 22. And it's like, well, did he just play on a good wicket? We don't know, but he was seen as a white ball specialist, Mm. despite the fact he was really good at red ball cricket all the way through. So I just think they were looking for a different kind of left arm finger spinner than he was. He certainly should have played a lot more. He would have been a really good counter to Nathan Lyon, um, a lot of those Asian tours. Um, and he could bat a bit. He wasn't a batter. I, I, I think you said before he opened the batting in the T20 game. That was a, that was a bit of a stretch for him. Yeah. <laughs> but at, as a number eight who, who was tough to get past, you know, he had a bit of Ashley Giles type, you know, Paul Harris skill to him. Um, mm. And, you know, there, there was something to to him as a cricketer, a very good mover in the fielder as well. He just, they weren't thinking about things in the right way. Right. They weren't in the right headspace, mm. which is how do we maximize the spin talent that we had? They were still on this thing of how do we find another great spinner? And that and that's fine if yeah. you have another great spinner coming through. Right. But even with Lion and O'Keefe, they were both mistreated because they weren't great. Mm. But they were both really, yeah. really good. And in O'Keefe's case, you just never used him correctly. Um and and you can already see how much smarter they are with Tom Murphy. They're already saying and, and Kuhneman. Yeah. Right, they're already behind mm. the scenes going great. Well, Kuhneman is every time we go to Asia, we'll make sure that he's ready to go and he's there. Todd Murphy will be the backup spinner and also the um, uh, mm. the second spinner when we when we need him. But he'll be groomed as the main spinner going ahead. They're just thinking about things so much more clear. Whereas I I I mean, if you go back, they used five left arm finger spinners in was it two years or a year and a half, mm. right? Where they were just panicking. That's, and that's not even mentioning the batters, you know, S- um, Smith, uh, North, and White all playing, Crazier um, yeah. and Horrotz playing, McGain playing. You've got Simon yeah, Gadditch, to make Michael, Michael Clark. Michael lots of those guys who bowled and, and like... they tried to make him a frontline spinner in Asia. Hmm. The whole thing was just falling apart, yeah. and I, Michael Clark basically couldn't bowl because of his back. Simon Caddis didn't want to bowl, right? And Cameron White was a captain. Who didn't bowl himself? And they were the three spinners on an Asian, on an Indian yeah. tour. It was, it was baffling what they were doing. Yeah. Whereas if you look at it now, there's a lot more sense in what they're doing. Doesn't mean they're going to be massively more successful because sometimes mm. you get the right bowls and sometimes you don't. But compared to what was going on mm. between 2008 and 2013, it was fucking chaos.
1: Yeah. Maybe, you know, in the case of Cameron White and perhaps even Michael Clark, it's just because they look like more well, blonde, Cameron White, you know, blonde hair. You that joke, Cameron White, is build. a big part of the reason, you know, him being a big
2: broad shouldered Victorian <laughs> with blonde hair did actually play a part in, in the hype around Cameron White. Mm. And he did have a good couple of early years. But, like, I watched a lot of Victorian cricket yeah. in those days. He wasn't a leg spinner. Like, mm-hmm. he, was, he was a clever part timer, yeah. right? At his best. And that's all he was yeah. ever going to be um and quite clearly he didn't think he was a league spinner he had that same thing that happens to a lot of spinners and i think when he had a growth spurt he Mm. kind of changed what kind of a bowler he was and he wasn't as good afterwards as Mm. he was before i mean i don't know if you've ever stood near cameron white cameron Cameron white is massive he's about 6'4 6'5 but he's solid like he's like just a huge dude Leg spinners don't look like that. It was such a weird... he looked like he you know, <laughs> should have been playing rugby union, not bowling leg spin. And he was big compared to <laughs> Warren, and Warren was massive for a spinner. Hmm,
1: true. I mean, there are lots of those guys, right, who were primarily batters but used as spinners. You've got your Cameron Whites. Of course, we mentioned... I didn't Michael even Clark, mention Simon Bevan. Could Marcus North yeah, yeah, you can you can mention Bevan. Marcus North has a cipher at Lords versus Pakistan. He's got his name. Yeah, for He's got his name on the honors board. So there's that. And then you know two of the other guys, uh, Steve Smith and Manus Labuschine, brought in as spin mm-hmm. you know options and are now two of Australia's best batters in contemporary cricket. So do you see more of the same trend continuing to the future, or are you pinning your hopes on? you know, Murphy in a post I've world. said before, I think
2: Murphy's the most talented spinner I've seen from Australia since Lion. And I like hmm. Kuhneman hmm. as a Asian specialist spinner in the way that Steve O'Keefe probably should have been used. Those hmm. two options coming through should mean that at least Australia has. I mean, I think we know with Murphy that he's not overawed. Um, he's a very sensible cricketer. Yeah. He can bat a little bit like he's, you know what I mean? You know, there's something mm. about him as a cricketer, I think overall, um, he, he's not a finished article though. Yeah. In the same way that lion wasn't when he began either, mm. you know, lions first few years, he did struggle right. a little bit. If, if Todd Murphy is at the abilities at now and he can continue to be used and they can use Kuhneman as a specialist, they've still got Mitch Swepson around, you know, there are some young other spinners mm. coming through as well. That I think they're in a much better situation. They're in a much better situation because they don't mm. expect Todd Murphy to be a great bowler. They don't, they, mm. there's no savior. Todd Murphy is not seen as a savior, right? He's just another person who's coming into the team. They know exactly the kind of role they want. They know the exact way they want to develop him and they're hoping that works. It may not work, right? And with Kuhneman as well, what do you do with Kuhneman? You make sure that he's ready to bowl in Asia, whatever you want. But the other thing with Kuhneman is who can he work with to make sure that he's a better um, spinner away from Asia in case you Mm. need him? Because eventually he'll be Murphy's backup, right? Those are the sorts of things that they are thinking about now. And before, if you go back to 2008, 2013 period, it was just anarchy, mate, right? It was a complete... Panic, yeah, and I think they're much better now at the way that they develop talent and the way that they um, look after people. So I don't expect another situation. But the problem is, and you can go to Warren, but you can also go to um, Botham with this. Um, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of other players who've had that kind of impact. Of you are that when they are of that size, you just think to yourself: there's two options. You either go the Garfield Sobers Bradman. Sort of side, oh, actually, bradman's not a good example, but Sobers is a good example of we're not going to find another all rounder like Sobers. How the hell do we find one? Right. Or you go the other way of going, oh, maybe there's a the next guy, and maybe there's a the next guy. That is always the wrong way of doing it. What you should be doing mm. is any one stage is looking at how your yeah. talent pool is, right, and trying to make the best um, usage of that. And if you look at what Ashuri did, they didn't. They panicked, they went over the top, they did everything wrong. Mm right, in that situation that they yeah. should not have done. And because of that, I think they ruined careers of good prospects. They also just made themselves look like mm. idiots. Um, they didn't get the most out of players like Colin Miller and probably even, you know, some of the other guys that came afterwards, they didn't get the most out of the ones that were very good. And, and I think Australia mm. is very similar to Pakistan. They, they mm. are always looking for the next great but they quite often overlook the very good player right now. And I think Australian cricket, when it was at its best, actually had the ability to go, "Eh, we'll give this Mike Hussey kid a go. Uh, Oh, by kid, I mean 30-year-old a go, right? We'll give Chris Rogers a go, (laughs) right? Because these are really good (laughs) players. And I think that if you keep chucking the ball to Mm. 20 and 21-year-olds, the history of Australian and Pakistan cricket, we overlook all those broken careers, right? And Mm. you need a combination of both. You're not going to find a Shane Shane Warne if you wait until he's 28. It's too late. But Shane Warne was ready Mm. emotionally and was ready physically, right? He just needed the skills to match that, and he learned them very quickly when he started. But if he hadn't, you don't want to throw him back away. You want to keep working with him. And I think Australian Mm. cricket is now in a position where they do that, and I think the position that they were in before was untenable, and they were just lucky that they kept getting so much talent. They're not in that position quite at the moment, and so now they have to be smarter.
0: Hmm.
1: You could say that just in the way that Shane Warne's shadow was detrimental to all of these people, Nathan Lyon's shadow will actually yep. be beneficial to people like Todd Murphy. And it's, it's interesting, you know, because Todd Murphy could go on to have a much more, a much better career than Steve O'Keefe, whereas at a point where Steve O'Keefe's numbers were really good in shield cricket, you could have argued that but he the, should have the, played the, more forcefully. bowlers. Nathan
2: Lyon was perfect uh, because I mean, you're right. It could be beneficial. But also, if Todd Murphy hmm. gets better than... Nathan Lyon, he'll just come into the team. You couldn't be better than Shane yeah, Bourne. Absolutely. So even when you were ready to take True. that role, that role was never going to be around for you, right? So Nathan Lyon is good, yeah. but not great. He's an Australian great, but he's an all-time great. Mm. He can be dropped and might be dropped towards True. the end of his career. If he starts to get to the last couple of years, and he's averaging 34 and 35, they're going to look at Todd Murphy and they go, we think he can average roughly the same. We'd rather give him a run in the team averaging 34 or 35 because we can have him for another eight years after that, whereas Nathan Lyons only got a couple left. Mm. It's a completely different world, right? And, and it's you know it's it's much easier yeah. to replace Ian Bell right? than it is... Um, I'm trying to think, let, let, let me, then Kane Williamson, right? The, the, hmm. the, the difference between those two things is at the end of Ian Bell's career, you could drop him a little bit too early. A couple of people would be annoyed, right? But you can move on. You can't move on from Kane Williamson. You can't, you know, there yeah. are certain players it is impossible to move on from because of your cricket culture. And Warren was one of those. And, you know, and Nathan Lyon just isn't one of those. And so again, Australia is in a better position.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting how, you know, during Warren's time, you, you spoke of this guy who was uh, bowling fast leggies. His name was Craig Howard. And it's a good place to end this podcast as well because whilst Warren had that massive shadow, this is a guy who made a comeback into cricket as an off-spinner after being, you know, a leg spinner prior. Never played for Australia. Went through the Australian Academy twice for two different disciplines. Played his last first-class game, age 21. And then went on to be pivotal with respect to providing Australia with a new generation of spinners by working with Nathan Lyon and spotting Todd Murphy. So, in a way, Craig Howard, whilst being in Shane Warne's shadow, still had an impact on the game, and that's just what makes all of uh, really this really beautiful, so that, isn't
2: it? You know, Craig Howard's story is incredible. You know, he, he was the freakish young leg spinner. If you watched him bowl, hmm. he wasn't anything like Warne, but he was almost as captivating as Warne. And you look at the players that he mm. dismissed and you're like, these are not, <laughs> he doesn't have a good bowling average, but you look at the players he dismissed in first class cricket and you're like, oh mm. my God, like this guy has a ridiculous record of the players that he, he's got out. And he wasn't treated well. Cricket Victoria wasn't very professional at the time. Mm. They were dicks to him. His body was falling apart. Mm. He went through the early biomechanics and Australia just thought his biomechanics didn't work. So instead of remodelling him or fixing it, they let him go. He was so good and talented that he came. I mean, imagine being good enough to be a professional wrist spinner and then coming back as a professional off spinner, right? <laughs> That's how clever and talented he was. Yeah, it's crazy. Lovely guy um, to deal with, but played his last first-class game at 21. I mean, we talk about Cullen Bailey and Bo Casson mm. and Dan Cullen. Those, they got to their mid-20s, right? He didn't even get that far. Yeah, and And I don't think any of them were as talented as Craig Howard was. And then you have this thing of mm. he accidentally becomes Nathan Lyon's mentor because it's Darren Berry obviously has the big role in, in discovering Nathan Lyon off the, off the ground mm. staff, as you said. And um, he just turns to the spinner he grew up with, Craig Howard, to come in and they mm. form a special bond. And John Davison was another spinner. No, I didn't mention John Davison in this because mm. he's fascinating too. Never played for his... He's wait, Canadian. He's, He's can, from my Canada, country. but remember, he, he set the record for the fastest ever <laughs> 100 in a World Cup. Another Australian spinner who played yeah. for Victoria during Shane Warne's era, by the way. Um, hmm. So, ah, interesting. There's so many weird sub stories we could do from this. But the point is, John Davidson helped mm. um, Lion a little bit, but I think his main mentor has always been Howard. And then Craig Howard is that regional Victorian guy. You know, he uh, lived in Bendigo and because of that, he saw cricketers from outside of the mainstream of Melbourne and Sydney. And one of them he saw was mm. Todd Murphy. Right. So he ends up mentoring mm. the the spinner who's taken 500 or almost 500 wickets and perhaps the one who replaced him. And I, yeah. I talked to Craig Howard, um, 2008, 2009. I tracked him down. Weirdly enough, mm. he's, I used to work with his wife's best friend and, I had said, mm. she said, oh, her, uh, you know, oh, her, her, her her, friend's husband used to play cricket at Victoria. And I sort of said casually, oh, who's that? She said, Craig Howard. And I went, Craig Howard, the leg spinner. She didn't even know what I was talking about. And she went, and I said, like a mm. tall, thin. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's him. And I was like, and I'd been looking for him <laughs> for years. I didn't know what had happened to him. There's two Victorian cricketers that had gone missing and he was one of them. Um, mm. And I talked to him and I think he was working for Telstra at the time, the telephone company in Australia. And he took like, he probably thought he was going to have like a 15 minute interview. And I must, we must've been on the phone for about an hour, an hour mm. and a half. And he was in tears by the end, mate, because he hadn't really talked about his career. Yeah. And when I first started writing about mm. all these guys, I wrote about them as this box of broken toys, right? Of, uh, you know, mm. isn't it funny, you know, uh, Jason Crazier got done for cocaine abuse and then he had a career that looked like he'd sniffed cocaine for, right? And, you know, and, you know Brad Hogg and all <laughs> that sort of stuff. But when Craig Howard came back and becomes the mentor for those two guys, I started to realize that like, this was just a special group of people who were just wrong place at the wrong time and that they all did incredible things and were mis- mistreated and they weren't just broken mm-hmm. toys. They were fully functioning people who happen to come into the shadow of, you know, there's only so much oxygen in the world at any one time. And Shane Warne took a lot more oxygen up than you or I or those guys ever would. Right. And when Craig Howard had that comeback and, and also Nathan, don't forget Nathan Lyon gets good in that point as well. Right. You suddenly Hmm. start to, I started to look at their whole stories in a different way. So I think if I'd written the book in 10 and 11, it would have been a little more of a comedy of errors type thing. And so now I look at it of these mm. incredible life stories of all these. I mean, we, we didn't talk about Michael Beer, right? You know, the guy who got picked to play in Western Australia, despite yeah. the fact he never really played the lacquer before. Um, you know, all these incredible mm. stories of all these different people and how they were successful in life and how they were successful under the shadow of one of the greatest to ever do it. And as you said before, we might never see a period where uh, a Western country has that many great spinners at the one time, um, As Australia did, and we might never see another Western country have a spinner as good as Shane Warne again. Right. And these guys Mm. happen to be a wrong place, wrong time. But we're talking about their hero. There's a podcast I did with Bryce McGain where we talk about how great Bryce McGain, how great Shane Warne was. Shane Warne (laughs) didn't look at it as if, uh, sorry, Bryce McGain didn't look at it as if Shane Warne ruined his life. Right. He was his mentor by the end of it. And a lot of these guys looked up to him. Mm. Nathan Lyon has a more of a complicated relationship with Shane Warne, or had one, mm. but they loved him. But because he existed, their lives were different. And in some cases, better. Colin yeah. Bailey probably doesn't get an Australian contact <laughs> if it wasn't for Shane Warne, right? Mm-hmm. But but Colin Miller True. wouldn't have been flicked away if it wasn't for Shane Warne, right? And yeah. so it's this incredible, comp. you know, the greatest whoever did it has this incredibly complicated relationship with all these different human beings and i think on top of all of this it's something i've always been fascinated with is pace bowlers in asia and spin bowlers in south africa and australia hmm. how do you do the thing that you're not hmm. supposed to do when everything is against you and we see it again and again and i just find it a yeah. fascinating way of looking at, at at the life stories of what i think is some one of the most eclectic and interesting group of people that i've ever written about
1: yeah. And I mean, now that we've recorded this marathon podcast on this, I think it would make, make for a great book. And you, you spoke of them as, you know, us looking at them as like broken toys. I think they were all very unique toys, but they were just victims, uh, victims of hmm. the shiny new toy syndrome, you know, and that was probably that cost them their career. So if anyone over there right by Jared is listening at the Oval, you know, get Steve O'Keefe in there. Cause I'd love to watch him and, uh, Kimar Roach play in the same team. If you got that joke, you got that joke. On that note, I will end this podcast. Thank you so much for your time, Jared, and for everyone who listened in. We'll catch you once again next week for another episode of Footmarks. That's all for now.
0: Goodbye.
2: Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Bharat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Sena Sainapayu and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.